listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 89. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Bökman. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, Salesan! Hey, morning, another week guys. has passed. Oh, morning, yeah, yeah we, because we're recording in our morning now. Yeah, we never record in the morning. Yeah. No, we usually do it in the evening, unless we are in different parts of the world. Yeah. Nothing like a bit of uh, morning skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that will happen to a lot of us in Prague very, very soon. Mm. Are you com- coming for that too? Skepticism of a breakfast? No, no, I will not be in Prague. I'm afraid. No, I'm not. We're gonna we're gonna go straight to Wroclaw. Yeah. Oh, too bad. See you there. So yeah, we're not gonna do the breakfast thing. Yeah. Or the bus. I am. Or the bus thing. Oh, the skepti bus. I'm not. I'm. I'm not gonna be, do the skepti bus myself oh, so because okay. I'm gonna be driving. Uh, we were joking. Yeah, it didn't make it to the show last time. We were joking about that. It sounded like as if we're uh, I were driving the, the skeptic bus itself, yeah. which is no. not going to be the case. But you're driving obviously. the skeptic car. Mm. A skeptic car. <laughs> I'm going to be driving a skeptic car, and uh, yeah, whoever wants to accompany me on the way to Roslav, which is a couple of hours drive, um, feel free to contact me. Mm? Cool. So, how, how many how many free spaces you've got? I've got three, I think. It's a five-seat car, but Lubo might be accompanying me. Coming along, already. okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Maybe yeah, but um, it's it's really coming up. It's really, 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 really soon that it's coming up, and and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, cool. It's the European Skeptics Congress uh, that we are talking about for for anyone who doesn't doesn't know what what it was all about and it's going to take place in Rotslav between the 22nd and the 24th of September mm. yep and their website is Eurosceptic Scon Con yes dot org um, it's yeah yeah and whenever you come across that website don't mistake it for uh, being for, for any Eurosceptical group no. we are not Eurosceptics we are Europeans proud Europeans who happen to be skeptics Yeah, yeah uh, talking about that, uh, we, we, there is another exciting thing going on, um, that our About Time tour that's, uh, that starts with, uh, um, Susan Gerbic and Mark Edward touring the, the Nordic countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is that right? Is that right, Pontus? It is right. <laughs> They're going to Oslo, Stockholm, Copenhagen, and Malmö. Are you going to be helping with that? Pontus? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Me and other skeptics. I mean, we are yeah, yeah. a group who helps. Yeah, and uh, the plan is that after the European Skeptics Congress, but before the Cheekup Fest in Cesena in Italy, uh, we're going to be uh, traveling across Germany and Switzerland, um, the four of us, uh, Susan, Mark, um, uh, Lubo Baburov, and myself. And we have a couple of invitations. So we're going to be stopping in uh, places like Göttingen, then Frankfurt, then Heidelberg, and going down to Zurich and then to Cesena. So it's going to be quite a trip. And uh, the plan is for Susan to finish the tour uh, in Hungary, giving a talk in Budapest. Wow. And now I'm now, now I just contacted the Slovenian skeptics uh, because it's right in the middle of the, the distance between Italy and Hungary. So 
Mm. We thought we might, yeah, we might might as well try to to meet up with uh, those guys. Great idea. Mm. Yeah. So if that happens, I'm gonna invite them for an interview. Yeah, you oh, absolutely should. Because it would be great. Yeah, we we have asked for um, a bit of contribution from uh, from uh, skeptics across Europe uh, because it's gonna be it's it's not gonna be just fun for us. We are planning to do interviews. We are planning to report on everything that we do, uh, recording video and audio as well. It's a skeptical networking kind of thing. Uh, that's why I would like to ask again for some contribution uh from from anyone who can help us any small contribution will be very very much appreciated and uh we can we can share the the link to our crowdfunding page on the show notes and on facebook and on facebook as well uh we have already and we will um, um, do it again and again and again yeah. until until we reach the the time yeah that's the the the, the, the latest what I'm really looking forward to is, uh, yeah, is meeting all the all the skeptics in different places in Rotslav, then in Germany, then in Switzerland, and uh, eventually uh, down in Italy. Really looking forward to that. And I'm going to be meeting James Randi. Hmm. Well, we all are. So yeah. There you're um, not n- not alone. So. No, so but uh, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow him to uh, to Italy as well. <laughs> Poor James Randi. I'll tell him to hide. <laughs> okay, let's 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 do why we're here. Doing an actual episode for you, dear listeners. As usual, we will start with um, the segment that is called "This Week in Skepticism." All right, um, I have for you this week quite a character. And her name is Anne Catherine Emmerich. She was born on the 8th of September, 1774. And she was a Roman Catholic Augustinian canoness and uh, Marian visionary ecstatic and stigmatist. Now, the reason why she's quite a character uh, is because she wrote um, a book that later inspired Mel Gibson to make a movie. The Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Well, who would have thought that that will ever happen? Now, the book was called uh, Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened was, she was a very sickly sort of nun, mystic. Um, and uh, she had all sorts of things going on in her life, you know, health-wise. She was bedridden. She uh, had constant visions of, you know, Jesus Christ. Uh, then, of course, um, she uh, developed stig- stigmatis. Um, and um, one of the her follower, followers, who was completely mesmerized by her, started recording her visions. And that's how the book was written at the end. The problem with her visions were that they were very highly anti-Semitic. And they portrayed the Jewish character involved in Jesus' crucifixion as exaggeratedly and demonically wicked, um, and mentioning the blood libel where Jews killing Christian children to make Passover matzah, etc. Nevertheless, she was beatified and um, became a saint, a very highly regarded saint. And her book, the sales of her book, skyrocketed after Emil Gibson's movie Passion of the Christ, and after he announced that that's what was his inspiration. None of the scenes in the book, of course, are in the Bible. These were just her visions, whatever she uh, saw in her dreams or whatever. So there you have it, this very 
<laughs> interesting lady. I normally am very excited to talk about lady characters, but in this instance, yeah. she was somewhat <laughs> uh, delusional person. Yeah. Who then became quite famous. Yeah. All thanks to Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> well, what Mel Gibson did can't be she she thing. can't be blamed for for the movie though. That was no, no, that was only course. on him and But what a strange turn of events. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks very much, Yelena. Alrighty. That means that we are moving on to uh talking about our news pieces. So what pieces of news have we got from across Europe? Let's start in Spain, where once again it is proved that just because you have doctor in front of your name, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a competent health professional. Mm. I am referring to a doctor, Rafael Torres, who has his clinic in Valencia, uh, and it's reported in the El Español. He is actually a medical doctor, but he's also a naturopath and a homeopath, and he's openly advocating homeopathy and ozone enemas, for HIV and uh, cancer patients. How does he reconcile that then? I, I, well, I, I don't know, but my mind is unfortunately trying to imagine how you do that, ozone enemas, and I don't really want to think about it. Anyway, <laughs> he, also uses, he also uses electroacupuncture, not in order to cure people, but to diagnose patients. And he diagnosed them by th somehow through this acupuncture, he establishes the level of plants and fungi in the patient as if it had anything to do with cancer. And I know that this is not a new plants. idea. Plants? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what kind of plants big. I'm, I'm thinking flowers and stuff, but probably smaller than that. Uh, he has also uh, lately organized a conference on alternative therapies in June this year. Uh, where he included both the local and the national health ministers in the in the official committee. The problem was that he didn't even ask them first if they wanted to be part of this. So he used their names to to get more to legitimize his uh, adventure. That is so cheeky. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh yeah, god. Yeah. So uh, well, that's all I have to say about this guy. Except that I would advise people who. Uh, feel ill not to seek this guy's advice uh, if you need <laughs> medical attention well yeah but unfortunately mm -hmm. as we know mm -hmm. yeah but um there are other guys who can uh, seek the advice of and uh, those are the so-called heilpraktika in germany heilpraktika jawohl oh yeah uh, those are the the, um, the health practitioners And that is a category that uh, has been in existence since 1939. And um, Edzard Ernst um, has written a couple of articles on, on the history of uh, the, the category of how practica. That, that makes it obvious that it, it was introduced by the Nazis. Well, it's a problem in itself. But the other problem is that it, it created back then a double standard that lives on until this day in Germany. And uh, now uh, there was a panel of uh, different experts, um, including Edzardens himself, and uh, the, it included uh, uh, German scientists, clinicians, and and other experts from different different other fields, and also uh, a prominent ethicist. They worked up a document that was published uh, not long ago, um, a couple of days ago. And uh, it concludes that, um, I, I quote, 
Heilpraktika has introduced two hugely different quality standards into germ- the German healthcare system. In the interest of the patient and of good healthcare, this double standard must be addressed. And uh, we are demanding the profession of the Heilpraktika either is completely abolished or is reformed such that it no longer poses a threat to public health in Germany. And Edzard Ernst goes on saying that this document makes concrete suggestions for such reforms. I did download the document. I did not understand much of it since it's in German. And hmm. uh, But uh, I have to accept um, Edzard Ernst's interpretation. But I did look up um, a couple of things about about this professional category of, of higher practica. And it's been talked about in Germany quite a lot recently. It really gives these practitioners the opportunity to lead a medicine-like practice without having proper education. Although the law that that regulates this uh, profession does require a certain knowledge, apparently, um, about anatomy and uh, human physiology, but that was phrased back in 1939, and it was amended a couple of times, but has not changed significantly since. Mm. So that's that's a, a terrible issue that that should bring up a couple of red flags. So I think it is it is time to to review that law and um and I agree with this this panel that uh, this should probably be abolished completely. I do understand that it has implications for for the wider society and it has to be linked to a, a wider um, political debate and um, uh, but but still it has to be addressed mm. and uh, now we are still waiting for for the answer uh, for the reply from the government itself see what happens mm. yeah don't yeah. not to <laughs> not to be forgotten that in about a month from now this is going to be the german elections happening so I'm pretty sure that they they will not discuss this topic right away. It's going to be the next government that will probably address it, if if at all. All right. Um, now let's move to Iceland. There were some news circulating around um, the fact that apparently in Iceland has eliminated uh, Down syndrome through abortions. And um, the Snoops did an investigation about that claim, of course, and um, they found that there there are some grain of truths in the claim, but also that it's not quite exactly what it seems. And the the uh, reality is that Icelandic doctors do require to uh, explain to expectant mothers that there there is a test that they can do to see if their uh, a child is carrying a gene of Down syndrome gene or, and then of course they have a choice to make whether they want to terminate the pregnancy or continue. In no way are those mothers pressured into an abortion by the government or by the doctor. And it's not like a, a eugenics program that, that tries to eliminate all the babies with Down syndrome. And therefore there's still babies born with Down syndrome in Iceland. Um, and it's, it's, it's totally left up to the parents to decide which is how it should be. So there we go. Well, this is this is one of those topics that are definitely not black and white. Babies babies with Down syndrome and what strain it it poses to a whole whole society, not only a family, but on the other hand, of course, uh, there is a legitimate 
it's a fine uh, line. It's a fine line, isn't it? Once you cross it, then you know, yeah, it's a little bit scary. But but you're right. It's not a black and white issue. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, and there are other not black and white issues. And since you mentioned Snopes, uh, they are doing a lot of fact checking. And fact checking seems to be the the new emerging area field of um, well handling news and uh, tackling mis- the the problem of misinformation spreading like like crazy. There is this uh, new software that is being developed by one of the. It's a charity called Full Fact. And um, it's been it's been running since 2010. Well, it's 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 been developing and growing ever since. Uh, started out with three people, and now they have 11 full time employees, and uh, they work with uh, lots of um, volunteers as well. Uh, very soon, it's starting to be tested on a on a wider scale. Uh, the the software is called Full Fact. Full Fact. Full fact, yeah. And what it does, it gives you real-time opportunity to fact-check. Imagine when you hear a claim or or read something and immediately get the information whether it has been fact-checked, that particular claim. Hmm. And that is a very powerful tool. It uses a huge database of uh, fact-checking results. So I, I read about it in The Guardian, and uh, they were provided with a uh, with a bit of a test, and and there was a demonstration of how the software would be working. That is going to be rolled out uh, for 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 further testing in in October, actually. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what the the first look um, was based on was um, a politicians making uh, statements and. There was a real time fact checking of those statements. So when you see those uh, real time subtitles, the speech is transformed into text and the text is being analyzed by the software and the software brings it up that, okay, for example, there was a, a claim that we've got nurses using food banks. That is the example that the garden gives. Then it finds in the database an exact match to that claim. Hmm. That is the basis of how the how full fact will work. So we have to distinguish the charity uh, from this um, software. It is developed mainly by the charity itself, but full fact the charity applies uh, these fact checking pieces of information, not like Snopes does it or factcheck.org, um, because they don't give you a rating. What they give you is they show you that there is a match in their database to that claim, and you can find it out for yourself whether it it is a factual information that you hear or a misinformation or something in between so so i don't i don't uh, if you can clarify is this to be used by journalists only or is it for for others and and also you know, you took the example with text coming up uh, will the software put in new text saying you know no it doesn't <laughs> if somebody's claiming something or will it go to the journalist and then the journalist will have to to explain um i assume because it's it's because of it uh, being still in the developmental phases uh, that is not clear yet okay uh how how it will roll out eventually mm-hmm. and in what form and and how it will interact with the user but there are talks of 
of uh, Facebook applying in later on and uh, different news organizations and, and news outlets um, using it mm. uh, for for further fact checking. Imagine it it would make it so much easier, so much quicker to do the actual fact checking because you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to look around the internet for hours to, to, to find if there has been a claim uh, of a similar sort. You will find it right away uh, based on this this software. Hmm. But uh, what I find funny in this is that um, uh, Pierre uh, Omidyar, uh, who's uh, one of the main benefactors of Full Fact itself, is among the greatest contributors um, financially to this project. But there is one other guy whose name is George Soros. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he's this Hungarian guy who is constantly being attacked based on misinformation <laughs> about him. So there was even, uh, I, I think even, uh, it was Snopes publishing an article um, on uh, the claims that he, he used to be uh, an SS officer, yeah. mm. a Nazi SS officer. <laughs> he was a Jew who had to leave the country so that is that is a, a, an absolutely weird claim it's it's a funny thing that he is the one behind uh, one of the benefactors and one of the the founders of uh, this project yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's also important about full fact the organization is that they claim that they are absolutely neutral so they have a board of trustees uh, they work with uh, with uh, the three big political parties in the UK, but um, the actual work is being uh, coordinated by the director, who is not leaning towards anything. So it's they is not um, uh, connected or affiliated with any of those parties. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, charity. It's uh, probably the first time that we mention them on the show, mm-hmm. but um, looks like it's probably not the last. I wonder if this whole fact checking and um, how to spot the real news thing becomes a big business for someone. <laughs> uh, it's it is becoming an, a, a whole industry in in its own right. So yeah, but this is it. This is it. This is a good thing when uh, providing good information make money and providing fact the real facts will will make somebody you know uh, benefit uh, materially monetary wise. Maybe that will be the way to live in, st- the, in the world. You know? Yeah, but I still don't see how it can lead to making money. Uh, because uh, now, yeah. now what it, what happens is that there have to be people funding it from the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still not profitable mm-hmm. in the sense that, that spreading misinformation and just hunting for clicks is. And, and I guess mis- uh, spreading misinformation is so much easier than trying than to. Yeah, because what counts is, uh, and what the, the only thing that matters is the number of clicks. Mm. And if if it's misinformation, so it, in that regard, it's it doesn't matter whether it's factual or or it's misinformation. But um, yeah, see see if someone comes up with a with a marketable idea, that would be great. Indeed, and. Um, that was our quick news segment. And I believe we have a very important update on something. We have an analysis segment again this week with Pontus Bergman. 
on episode 69 in April, I talked about the measles epidemics in Europe, uh, which shows up in the media from time to time, but I don't think it gets enough press. And I wanted to get to the bottom of it. How bad bad is it? Mm-hmm. So I'm making a follow-up on that. And at the time, in April, I said that if you just took a linear extrapolation of what uh, the numbers were, the statistics, we would be looking at about 100,000 cases in Europe this year. But I also said that's probably not how you do it. You don't just extrapolate, extrapolate yes. like that. So, But yeah. how bad is it then? So I'm trying to... To look at this. Well, first, a little bit of a recap. Measles has, for the last two years, made a big comeback in Europe, uh, with a few countries being worst uh, in the in the list. There have also been uh, news articles in many other countries as well, highlighting that there's been a few cases here, there's been a few cases there. The latest I saw that uh, on that was an outbreak in, in part of Denmark, and interestingly, the, the point they made in the papers anyway was the recommendation not to go to the hospital if you believe you have the measles because it's so contagious that you risk spreading it in the waiting rooms. Oh, yes. I course. don't know exactly what you're supposed to do then. Uh, stay home you, and die. Yeah, yeah, stay home and die. It was, I mean, it was probably a journalistic uh, thing and I couldn't find out what they wanted you to do. But um, anyway, but it, 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 does point to the the fact that it is extremely uh, contagious. And that's why you have to have a, a vaccination rate above 95% to be able to contain or stop, mm-hmm. or stop the disease. And it's mm-hmm. falling below there for many countries in Europe uh, over the uh, last couple of years. So absolutely worst off is Romania, who reported 1,900 cases last year, resulting in 17 deaths. Because oh, yes. you, we should we should remember that measles is not you know a harmless uh, disease. It it yeah. can lead to death. It 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 means that it's one in a hundred. These statistics would indicate that, but it depends on how <sighs> good. Uh, th- that that's not true generally because it depends on how good uh, medical care you get. If you get medical yeah. care, uh, your your chances are much much better uh, than mm-hmm. than that. Okay, go back to the statistics. 1,900 cases in Romania last year. I, my source for this is the ECDC, the European Center of Disease Control. But the more I look into the numbers, the more I realize that it's very hard to get accurate statistics. Because reporting to the ECDC by, by the membership states are not always done in a timely manner. And it also seems like it's lagging behind in that the, the countries report the numbers that they know of. Later on, they found out that it was actually more cases, but they, they don't go back to the ECDC and correct the numbers. So I suspect that the ECDC numbers are too low because I got contradictory numbers in certain places. So I went, I looked into something called the Institutul Nacional de Sanitate Publica Romania or something to that effect which my amateur <laughs> translation is the Romanian Institute of Public Health or something mm, like that. This sounds so, good. So I went to the, directly to the source. They publish uh, regular statistics where you can see the weekly uh, number of cases for, uh, in, in Romania, also uh, allocated to the different regions in Romania, so it's pretty, pretty uh, detailed. But what you can see there that if you look at the newer report, 
and compared it to the older reports, the numbers have gone up for, for periods that they've already reported, and those revisions don't get to the ECDC. According to this authority, they've had almost 9,000 cases in, of measles over the last 18 months. And if they had almost 2,000 cases last year, that means that they have had 7,000 cases this year. So it seems to be, uh, you know, exponentially going up. Wow. Remember that in Romania, they have also uh, taken some uh, measures now from the authorities. I think we talked mm-hmm. about that in, in, in April, May somewhere, where they, where they yeah. increased the number of vaccinations. I know they've stopped, they have forbidden the export of measles uh, vaccine, because that's apparently something they did in the past. You cannot bring vaccines out because they are getting short of it. So they're doing what they can, but still, it is looking really, really bad. So that's Romania. Then we look at Italy because Italy is also very high up on the on the list uh, of of measles reports in in Europe. They had three thousand three hundred and forty six cases in the first six months of twenty seventeen, including two deaths. Three thousand three hundred forty six in the six months. That's almost as much as in all of Europe for last year. What was it? What was the overall number in Europe again for this year? Looking back on that, I don't trust the numbers on the ECDC, so I don't know how many we have <laughs> yeah, in, the, okay. in Europe. Because if you look at the Romanian authorities, they say 7,000 this year, right? Yeah. That's more than in all of Europe if you look at the ECDC numbers. <laughs> okay. So so yes. the ECDC numbers are too low, which makes it very difficult to, to, to get to the statistics. But we can see it already <laughs> so far. If you look at Italy and Romania alone... And you add the two countries so far this year, you're over 10,000 cases. So, so that's, a, that's a lot. It's a lot. Other countries that are in a bad shape are Belgium, France, and Germany. But it's not as bad as these other two countries. So three to 400 each for France and Belgium for the first six months this year, and about 900 for Germany. So I think if you look, you know, it's very hard with to get the statistics right here, but I think we can easily be looking at like 25,000 cases when this year is over for all of Europe. And I, I think that's actually a conservative estimate. And compare that wow. to the official 4,000 cases last year, which the ECDC said was very alarming. I think we are going from uh, alarming to, to, to a level much higher than that. Then, of course, you could look into speculating, why is this happening? And there are two reasons that has been put forward. And um, one of them is that we do get, uh, we have been getting uh, quite a lot of immigrants into Europe for uh, for the last couple of years from from countries where vaccination rates are not uh, high at all. I mean, we talk about Syria, Middle East. North Africa. And some of these groups, they don't even want to be vaccinated when they come here, even if it's offered for free, because they are suspicious of uh, authorities and there are rumors about, you know, you're going to be poisoned, blah, blah, blah. So you have very low vaccination rates in those groups. And that that's enough to keep the the disease going. And if vaccination rate drops in the rest of the population as well, it really becomes dangerous. And I think that's a combination of the two things that are happening here. We get people in with the disease. We do also have the anti-vaccination movement that has been very successful in, in Europe. 
And together, these two things create this situation. So there's no good news then, is there? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. And, and, and one, and, and the, I think the bad news is that it's not being highlighted enough. You see these right, yeah. individual, mm-hmm. you know, small things on page eleven on the newspapers. There are two cases in this country or in this town, and there's two cases here. But I don't yeah. think anybody's reporting on this on, on the actual scale it deserves. But also, if, if they are reporting, they're taking official numbers, which well, obviously you can see now are way too low. You have to really go to the individual uh, countries, countries uh, and look at the yeah. raw data to compile it yourself. You can't trust the ECDC, which is uh, bad news in itself. You know, what I don't understand is why don't ECDC do that? Yeah, well, I guess it's not the way th- that uh, the EU works. You d- you don't put people in Brussels and say, now you go on the internet and you find out the information. That that's not how EU works. It's more bureaucratic than that. You have you have yeah. uh, organizations that's supposed to feed information to other organizations in in a very formal way. Do you do you know if that uh, providing that information to to the ECDC? Is that compulsory to the member states or uh, th- or the men- the authorities of the member states? I, 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 my my impression is that it is compulsory, but there is no sanctions if you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. And most countries do it, but they do it uh, on an irregular basis. It can be mm. delayed, or maybe the numbers aren't uh, correct. Yeah, and it's totally understandable. For example, what you said about the the Romanian authority, it says it revises its own numbers, but that doesn't get updated with the CDC. Uh, so, so it's 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 a, another step that they don't make. Yeah, and uh, it should be done. Yeah. Yes, so we will. Con- I will continue to look at this and see what's how how it's going to develop. But I think it looks bad. Hmm. Well, thanks, Pontus, for nothing, I guess. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thanks you get. <laughs> yeah. I, thanks for covering you, that. You, you only want to have good news. Is that right, Jelena? Uh, nah. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But um, I, I, often, I often think what it will take to, to, to change the tide and get this momentum, you know, going with people... It's just rallying up against the anti-vaccination movement and stuff like that. I, I don't know. Maybe some powerful person's baby has to die and then they'll... Yeah. Yeah. What I still don't understand, or I still don't know of any um, piece of research into that that would definitely show the connection between the anti-vaccination and the numbers going that high up. It, sh- it would be interesting to see how much of an effect the anti-vaccination movement has on on the vaccination rates all over Europe. How much support they gain must differ from country to country. Mm. I think one of the problems is that it's very much below the radar. I don't think there is any... They're doing it sort of sneakily with secret meetings, secret Facebook groups. Uh, It's not very openly done, but it's still effective. But I think think we have a very good example uh, flowing out of uh, Australia. With uh, this woman, Polly Tommy, who's the uh, one of the producers um, of Vexed, 
Mm. that terrible, terrible pseudo documentary. And she appeared in Australia and then went on to New Zealand and wanted to come back to Australia. By that time, she was denied re-entry to the country <laughs> yeah. based on her activities in the country. So that is a way to do it. Yeah. You just have to stop these people from spreading their misinformation. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, Pontus, for uh, for this um, analysis. Um, even though the the news are terrible about that, but uh, we have to be uh, up to date. So thank you. Thank you. And um, from Pontus, moving on to Pontus, um, <laughs> providing us with another segment that is a regular segment. Uh, one of our favorites is really wrong. All right, so we go from one depressing thing to another, and I must say that I seldom get so bloody angry as I did this week, but, oh. <laughs> but I guess sometimes life just sucks. Uh, there has been a disturbing trend in the social media that I have observed lately. Uh, I've seen it in Sweden, but I think it's also in other countries, and that's several initiatives where people have been seeking crowdfunding money to send terminally ill cancer patients to Mexico for treatment. Yeah. Have you have you seen anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, at least in in my you know bubble on the internet this is coming up and even among skeptics and that's why it's so bloody disturbing. There was a, a couple of of cases in 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 my Facebook sphere lately where even skeptics said, I have donated to this cause, be, not because I believe in it, but just because I cannot face, you know, I can't betray my friends and saying, I do not want to, to help to try, try to save your child. So, you know, you, you feel the pressure so much, yeah. so even skeptics start donating to these things. So that, that's the awful dilemma. What do you do if a close <laughs> friend or a friend of a close friend asks you to donate to save their child? And you know that the money will only go into the pockets of, of, of quacks. How do you tell mm -hmm. somebody that I will not try to help? Like it's not why gently, you tell them. Yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> easy, but like gently maybe try to ask questions about how effective do they think you're I, I think it's very, very, very difficult because the people mm. you're talking to are so are in an emotional place where they cannot be reached by that. And even if they understand what you're saying and say, yeah, you may be right, but this is the only chance we have and I'm going to do everything I can to try to save my child. It may not work, but at least I've tried. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 Mm. I don't know why it's also Mexico all the time. So I looked into that as well. Apparently in, in Mexico, there is a lot of this going on. And it's not new. It was, I, did, I didn't realize, but if you look at ca Cancer Research UK, mm -hmm. there are at least 35 different alternative clinics, most of them along the US border, which offer different kinds of treatments. Treatments that are not approved or rather not proved to be effective. These treatments include chelation therapy, high dose vitamin, diets, hyperthermia, hydrotherapy, etc., etc. All things that have been researched a lot, but have not been shown to work. And as I said, this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, Mexico has been hosting these kinds of clinics ever since the 60s, uh, it appears. And uh, there was one famous case from uh, 1980, when the famous actor Steve McQueen, have you heard of him 
or is it yep. before your time? No, I, I didn't. <laughs> no, Steve McQueen was uh, extremely uh, famous uh, in the 70s uh, and 60s and 70s. Uh, but he got a very aggressive stomach cancer and was told that uh, the case was hopeless and didn't accept that. He went down to Mexico where he got coffee enemas and other things. And in October 1980, his doctors down there told him he was cured. And one mm. month later, he died during a very complicated surgery to remove a number of tumors. This was 37 years ago, and it's still going. And thanks to, or due to, the, the, the crowdfunding thing, I think they're making more money than ever. So, uh, again, I can't imagine how I could refuse, if I got the direct question, to donate if a, a close friend asked me to. But I don't know how to tell that person uh, how I feel. And uh, I can't blame parents for, for, for grasping at every straw to, to save their children. I, I, how mm. could you? So the only thing I can do is to send a great big fuck you to all the cancer quacks <laughs> out there and uh, that profit on desperate people, especially parents that feels uh, really close to my heart. And the, the really wrong price is actually too good for you. And it's still the only thing I can give. So these are hor horrible people. And I wish also that Mexico would do something to shut down these clinics. Yeah. Not unfortunately, Mexico is, is the country where the enforcement of law of any kind isn't observed. Yeah, <laughs> as, I, I, as rigidly as in other countries. There is also a question of uh, a lot of corruption in in Mexico. Unfortunately, well, uh, that's kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. run by waste. And once they have the money to put in those politicians' pockets, mm. they're they're covered. Yeah, actually, I, I didn't get into that, but there was a governor in Veracruz in Mexico, mm -hmm. Javier Duarte, who was part of a scheme similar to this, where he uh, nice. took a lot of money for all kinds of things and and made sure that people got some treatment there, which turned out to be basically distilled water rather than chemotherapy. He disappeared in October last year amazingly, along with hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, <laughs> which he has made on other things as well. It wasn't just for this cancer thing. But uh, I also heard that he was caught in um, April in, where was that? Uh, it was in Guatemala. And now oh. he will be prosecuted. So well, let's hope that goes. Yeah. I hope he gets what he deserves. Yeah. An anima? <laughs> a really big one <laughs> yeah I think so <laughs> yeah and we are now announcing the establishment of our fuck you prize yeah. uh, fuck you in an anima okay thank you very much Pontus thank you for uh, yeah bringing bringing the mood even even further down <laughs> Um, well, we shouldn't be complaining about, uh, the, the mood being so down and uh, over all those depressing news because we chose to be active skeptics, which comes with all that, hmm. I'm afraid. Hmm. Uh, we just need to, to, to keep our spirits up. You mean, you mean spirit? Like, yeah, the, yeah. Al <laughs> the alcohol. Spirit. Yeah, 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 no. The levels of alcohol. Yeah. No, no, we don't need alcohol for that. <laughs> We just keep up the good spirit and that's it. 
And to help us with that, I believe, Yelena, you have a quote to close the show with. I do have a quick one. Um, a few drops of science will often disinfect an entire barrel full of ignorance and prejudice. And that was said by Hendrik William van Loon, who is a Netherlands-born historian, journalist, and award-winning children's book author. Ooh, amazing. So, and that's exactly what we need to go on. Yep. So, that was pretty, pretty positive. <laughs> yeah, it was, actually. And maybe that's what we are doing here on this podcast. We are a few drops of science in an in a entire barrel full of ignorance and prejudice. <laughs> yeah. Science and Well, skepticism. talking about that, we are, uh, in a way, we are preaching to the choir. Mm. But what we are trying to help our fellow skeptics with is the information that is out there. Yeah. So we are trying to give you um, an overall picture of what's going on in Europe so that you know where to attack if you have the tendency to do that. Mm. So please use the information that we, we uh, spread here. And if you feel like we don't have enough to share with you, then please let us know what else we could include. And to do that... You can get in touch with us by emailing us, which is info at theesp.eu or tweeting and Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. Also follow us on Facebook and you can write us direct message on there and like us on Facebook. And if you get our podcast on iTunes, uh, then please leave us a nice review. We, you can also message us directly from our website, which of course is theesp.eu. Hmm. Which is also where you find the, the events in Europe page, where you can see everything that's going on. And also, what we don't mention too much is, please share the, the show with somebody. If you know somebody that you mm -hmm. think should listen to us, tell them about us. That's also a way to, to spread the news. You can also, if you want to make us really happy, you can uh, click on the donate button uh, when you're on our page and send us a few euros. It's actually been a while since we got any money, so I think uh, either the money has run out or uh, or we're not mentioning it enough. But please do that because it really helps to get the sh keep the show going. Yeah. Um, obviously, we are doing this on a voluntary basis. Uh, we are volunteering our time and energy, uh, but uh, there are expenses that come with uh, running the show, like uh, uh, the the web page, uh, the, the hosting of the the actual um, show. So, so, so that that is something that has uh, that has come with expenses as well. Uh, but if you want to uh, help us spread the word even further than that, um, there is another way. Um, up until the 10th of September, you still have the opportunity to vote for us to be nominated for the Occam Awards. Yay! Yay! And that you can find on the Skeptic Magazine's website, where uh, there is an opportunity for you to vote on a blog, a campaign, a podcast to be nominated for this uh, very prestigious award among skeptics. And there is a new category that is called the Rusty, Rusty Racer. Razor. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Rusty Racer, yeah. Yeah. If you just want to share uh, with uh, the award committee wh whom you think is the worst out there in terms of spreading misinformation and crazy claims uh, to be made, then uh, just share it with them. 
And the actual award ceremony will take place at QED 2007 in Manchester between the 13th and 15th of October, where you can meet us as well. Yoo-hoo! And <laughs> yoo-hoo! <laughs> but we hope uh, to have your ears again next week. And uh, I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Pleasure Thanks, as guys. always. And until that next week, goodbye. 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 This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. What is the meaning of life? Oh, that sounded <laughs> very, very deep and profound. No, no, no it's not. Okay. Uh, with uh, that vaxxed woman. Polly? Uh, yeah, t- t- Paul, Tommy, t- Paul. Tommy, Polly, or something like that. <laughs> Hang on, we have to look her up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not like... Ash, ash, ash. DECDC does that. So, <laughs> do, do that, sorry. So, why why don't the ECD... Uh, EC, we don't want to know. <laughs> Are you done? Can I do it again? Can we go back? Yes, to please, yes, yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> go for it, go for it. Shut up, I shut up.